Ahoy, and welcome back to the Backwoods Band Room. I'm your host, Lance Jones, and I'm coming to you from my own band room on a hilltop somewhere in central Pennsylvania. In this podcast, we discuss all things we face as rural school music teachers, like constantly adapting limited instrumentation, operating on a limited budget, dealing with scheduling issues, or just working in an area where people still listen to Nickelback. On purpose. Yeah. This season features a collection of episodes dedicated to the rebuilding of our small school programs. And this is part two of our Royally Rebuilding series. And today we're talking alternative approaches for the ensemble. So by alternative approaches, I mean that we can start to look at our programs differently in terms of how we use them and their functionality, and also the what and how of programming for those ensembles. And that's really what we're gonna dive into today. So firstly, flex band arrangements are all the rage right now, and I think it's wonderful so many composers have heeded the call over the last 24 months and have continued to contribute to that flex band library, and that helps directors kind of navigate through the uncertainty of ensemble and instrumentation structure and also rehearsal time in an ever-evolving school schedule. But with that, I really don't have any suggestions as far as what flex band literature to uh, use. Although I will say, I don't think that flex band music is necessarily created equal. And more importantly, I think that directors have to be conscious of their intention when picking flex band arrangements. So just an example, I'm looking at some music by Randall Stanridge. And online, you can look at the same piece, both the full band and the flex band. Both are approximately the same price. And because Randall did both of these versions, you know that you're not going to sacrifice the overall quality or character of the piece for the sake of accessibility. And going back to the intention of the director, I'm not going to pick a piece that has a lot of depth and color to it if I don't have the workhorses to do it or if I don't have the numbers to achieve a certain color or depth. Um, and I'm not going to pick a flex band arrangement that's possibly going to deviate from that color palette that created the whole character of the piece to begin with. So just some thoughts. And if you have a really great flex band arrangement that you've used and loved, email me or post on our Facebook page and let everyone know to check it out. So while I've not been using flex band music, I have been diving into the lower grade literature quite a bit. You know, and traditionally in a lot of small programs, we race to get our students to a higher grade or standard literature. And this can cause us to miss a lot of really great lit in the uh, lower grade libraries. I mean, even myself, I teach the entire band program starting from fifth grade all the way through 12th. So, you know, fifth grade's beginning band and sixth through eighth grade, they're trying to get through, you know, grade one, grade two literature. If I have a really solid middle school group, then they might play a two and a half. But ultimately, my goal is to get them to start going after grade three and beyond as much as possible at the senior high level. But I will say I've really enjoyed taking my foot off the gas pedal recently and really exploring the expansive library in the lower grade lit. And here are some of my observations. So firstly, I love that the lower grade lit gets my ensembles playing as soon as possible and as much as possible. And on one hand, this has helped us establish things like class procedure, routine, and expectations, and pacing throughout rehearsal. But on the musical side of things, it also helps us establish our core sound and talk about music fundamentals without it being an overwhelming conversation. And it allows my ensembles to experience almost instant success, which they need. This success will build on top of more success, which will help them over time build up confidence and endurance as a player, which is really essential right now. So the lower grade literature also opens up some opportunities for your ensemble. 
specifically, I have some like eighth grade percussionists that have never had the opportunity to do any type of total percussion. And by doing some like grade one and a half stuff, these students aren't intimidated to jump into a timpani part that's written for two drums instead of four and hovers around tonic and dominant. And the same goes for the mallet writing as well. So these students can wrap their head around this beast that is total percussion. And as their teacher, I'm thrilled because they're learning a new skill that makes them better. The ensemble is going to benefit and I know that they're not going to get overwhelmed and they're going to be successful. So it's a huge W for everybody. Hey, and speaking of percussion, I was just speaking with uh, two of our colleagues recently, um, both great music teachers working on their own hilltops, but we had two very separate conversations about adapting literature for both the advanced and the struggling percussionist, and also adapting literature for small and larger percussion sections. So here's another scenario where lower grade literature can really be flexible for you. So one example for elementary or middle school bands would be Barry Ward's Samurai, and it's got a ton of percussion parts, um, multiple bass drum, tom-tom, woodblock, triangle, and mallet parts that also double the flute section. And so if I have a large group, I'm going to use all those parts, and if I have a smaller percussion section, then I can scale all those double parts down. If I have advanced players, I actually have them play on metal trash cans, either doubling the snare or bass part. But it's a great effect that fits the piece. The kids love it. You could also write your own part for it. The other piece is Michael Sweeney's Distant Thunder of a Sacred Forest, I think it's called. But unlike Samurai, this one's for a larger percussion group. You can't really scale the parts down, but the rhythms aren't too difficult and it's very groove based and repetitive. So you could always teach them by rote. And for my advanced students, I always create an ostinato pattern that I write out for them and let them play that on hand drums, which adds a really cool effect to the piece. And again, the buy-in is pretty immediate with all those kids as well. If you're looking for a harder piece, Michael Sweeney's Earth Dance is very similar in uh, style and structure. And so you could accomplish the same thing with a young or small high school ensemble. So these are just some examples that I have done, but you know, you can take these ideas and get creative in other literature as well. And just a reminder, you won't find these suggestions or adaptations in a score. So we'll see if the publishers of those pieces either offer me a writing credit or a lawsuit, but it'll be fun. Okay, so let's move on to the functionality of our programs. So yeah, I've been giving a great deal of thought as to how I approach my marching and my concert bands. And you know, traditionally my marching band, which is a 7 through 12 ensemble, does a pop or entertainment oriented show each fall. And for this seven minute show, I get about a week and a half of band camp and three hours of rehearsal each week for 10 weeks in a normal fall schedule. And then the concert band school year culminates in this end of the year performance where it's usually featuring multiple ensembles, you know, your elementary, middle school, and high school bands, or your high school concert band, high school jazz band, high school vocal groups, and your high school orchestra all performing in one evening. And this can become a pretty lengthy performance that's mostly grounded in artistic and academic work. And this brings me to my point, which is we can do a flip of sorts with these ensembles and look at grounding our marching band shows in something educational and also providing a audience engagement factor to our concert band performances. Now, I don't mean that this has to be some wild or extreme shift, 
I'm just saying that if I do a pop show with my marching band, that I'm going to make intentional connections with other concepts or techniques or literature further down the road. Like for an example, if I do a Danny Elfman piece with the marching band, that sets me up for multiple different things with my high school band, whether that's just a conversation about tone and texture or us going after a contemporary piece of music that uses lots of accidentals and woodwind runs and mallet percussion, all which you can identify through one piece of music that you were doing for air quotes fun in your marching band show. You know, another example is if I do the Pirates of the Caribbean theme with my marching band, that's all in 6-8. And so maybe I start looking at pulling out, you know, Holst Second Suite for the fall or spring concert because my band spent 10 plus weeks playing stuff in marching band in 6-8. And so, you know, they're ready to go after at least the march, if nothing else. And so that fun marching band show just became a catalyst for something much bigger in the grand scheme of things. And then with concert band, um, I can tell you that my spring program this year makes specific connections to people and places in our community. And so I'm not making any sacrifices with the music that we're playing, but I want to make a conscious effort to make connections and have the students' families and the audience know those connections and realize, oh, this is why they're playing that piece and this is why I should care they're playing that piece and this is why I should care that my kids in this program, so on and so forth. So by doing this, we add an engagement and entertainment entertaining factor that maybe we are not so concerned about traditionally with concert band, but always is in the back of our minds in a marching band show. So yeah, flipping the ensembles. There it is. Hey, before we come down off this hilltop, let's bring it in. So I started this podcast to help us all make music happen in our small and rural programs, hopefully sharing some tips and tricks along the way, and even better, starting a larger conversation about the viability of rural school music programs. So with that said, if you like something or want to contribute to the conversation, please leave a comment on our Facebook page and share and continue the conversation with your colleagues. Hey, we'll see you next time here at the Backwoods Band Room. And until then, from my silo to yours, happy music making.